Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Good morning, church. Hey, if we haven't met, my name is Mitch, and I'm one of the pastors here at Horizon. I get to be in here this morning with you. Uh, excited to do so. We're going to continue in our imminent series in Second Thessalonians. If you need a Bible, um, we have ushers in the aisles that can get you one. Just get their attention. Um, throw your hand up or something. couple things before we jump in. Part of what I get to do here at the church is this thing... Um, that we call living nativity that is just around the corner and uh, we've been talking a lot about it over the last couple weeks mainly because um, it's one of our biggest outreaches we expect thousands of people across four nights or thousands of people actually each night across four nights to go through the 12 scenes that we set up all over campus um, that is the birth life death and resurrection of Jesus because um, Jesus was born with a mission in mind, uh, not just so that God could hang out on earth for 30 some odd years, but so that he could be um, our savior. And so we want to share that and show that uh, in the living nativity. Uh, But what that means and what we've been talking about is uh, to have thousands of people on campus is not cheap. Um, And the requirements that the county puts on us, that the fire department puts on us, Um, isn't cheap. It's about $12,000 a night uh, for those four nights. And um, so pumped to be able to say in October, Nativity this year is paid for um, by your generous gifts and uh, yeah, your willingness to follow the Lord. So, so pumped and excited on that. Now we will turn from the monetary cost of nativity to we need you to sign up to serve and be an actor and (laughs) just keep going. Um, But even more so than that, just need you to bring your neighbors and bring your family and bring those that need to hear the gospel and see the gospel um, and those that you wish to respond to the gospel. So it's just around the corner coming up at the end of December, right before Christmas. So super excited. Um, just praising the Lord for all that He's doing. One other thing, uh, just to put in your head, and maybe that you would pray for, and um, just a challenge, I guess, if you have students here at the church. This morning, our youth ministry continues in what we like to call our Frequently Asked Questions series. Um, we do this annually, or even biannually, as we'll do uh, this when we go to winter camp as well. But we let kids ask anonymous questions. Um, and we want to know where they're at. It's really... I mean, it's for them, but it's really for us as a youth staff to know where our students are, what they're struggling with, what they're thinking about, what they're wrestling with, um, what they're pondering or what they're challenged by in life. Last week was sex, dating, relationships, all of those things that high school and junior high kids love to talk about and know what the boundaries and limits are. So uh, they're doing a panel, and Pastor Steven and his wife Esther were in there with Josh Dyer, our youth pastor, last week addressing those topics. And we were challenged in church, if you have students, um, that you would start a conversation about that subject going home. What did you learn? What did you, what did, uh, were you challenged by? Uh, 
what do relationships look like in your life, student child of mine. Um, today, though, based on questions we receive and being the second most commonly asked question from our students, from your students, what they're wrestling with, pondering, and on their hearts and mind, today is stress, anxiety, depression, and suicide. Not because we feel like we should talk to them about this, but because they ask questions in this realm. Because they ask questions and this is on their hearts and minds and what they're struggling with as 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders in this church. So would you please pray as Steve and Sarah Armendaris are on the panel this morning addressing this biblically with our students. Um, but would you have a conversation with your student on the way home? What, what, what did you guys learn and talk about in church today? Um, this is a massive, massive thing in our community, in our area, as our school districts um, are higher than the national average in relation to suicide. Um, massive, massive topic that, again, we're being asked about. So uh, that's a little bit of what is happening just right over there in the theater um, let's pray, and we're going to jump into our imminent series. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that we get to be in your house, that we get to open up your word. God, across all of this campus, from the littlest kids to us here in this room, God, um, would your word penetrate our lives this morning? Would we grow and change more into the people that you have uh, planned for us to be? God, we thank you that you have good, mighty, strong, amazing, incredible plans for each and every one of our lives. Plans that are better than our plans. God, higher than the heavens are above the earth, you tell us. God, would we walk in those and learn better this morning how we can walk in those. In your name we pray. Amen. We threw out a challenge when we jumped into 1 Thessalonians last week, and that was that there is a slight change in the introduction of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. If you were here all the way back at the beginning of this imminent series in 1 Thessalonians, we spent an entire weekend on just the first three names in 1 Thessalonians. Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus. And we stopped there, and it was an entire weekend. We want to relook at these intros this morning and find what we were challenged to find last week on the difference in this actual small, minute difference that has massive, eternal significance. Okay, Matt, will you give us uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.1? 1, 1. We're going to jump around real quick. It says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, the screen is going to change. Watch very carefully. Matt, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2. Did we see it? Change it back? Okay, change it again. There, do we see it? Massive change. It's actually not a word change. We're actually adding a word in this verse. Now in 2 Thessalonians, verse 1 and 2 says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father. Possessive pronoun added. 
before, if you were to like study original language and in the Greek, the father, the article the is just attached to the Greek word for father. Okay, so we're adding a word. The word in the Greek is himon. It, it is possessive pronoun. That now Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus are saying to the church in Thessalonica, we have this in common. That now God is our, plural, this group, our Father. That there is a change in who God is to this church and to these people. That now, now they are like Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus. That they have made God, not, not that they simply believe that God exists, or accept that there might be a creator out there somewhere, or learn or know things about God, but now they have an actual relationship with God the Father. And in the context of these books, so important because of His, Jesus' imminent return for those that are in relationship with Him. For those that are in relationship with God. Honestly and transparently this morning, um, this gets slightly uncomfortable if we're truly honest in the room, even as hopefully the majority of us as Christians. I want to spend most of our time this morning in John 14. Okay, the spoiler alert key to all of this is Jesus. Okay, how do we go from like this church in Thessalonica goes from the God to our God? The key, the answer is Jesus. And Jesus is going to, for us, explain that clearly here in John 14. I am not one um, to recycle talks. Like, I really actually struggle in doing that well. Um, but I gave this talk just a few weeks ago when I was in youth ministry filling in for Josh because he was on vacation. And it just so happened that I was actually just studying this in my own personal time with God. And that he was teaching me and challenging me and lining up so much of John 14 with my story or my testimony, my story with God is pretty dang clear here in John 14. And then now to be talking on the subject of not just a God or the God or believing that God exists, but that my only access to having a relationship with him, for him to be my God, I need Jesus, period. I love when God does that, when he takes what I'm doing in my own private life with him and then he ties it into what's happening in church or when I sit and listen, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how this connects with what God's doing here or in my family over there or what I'm learning now in the five months that I've been a dad or the three years that I've been a husband and what God's showing and revealing to me about my relationship with him. And all these things start connecting. Then I'm like, okay, God actually knows what he's doing. Thank you. Amazing. Incredible. And I'm more in awe of God. John 14, verse 1 says, Let your heart not be troubled. This is Jesus talking. He's just outlined, outlined to the disciples what's ahead of him. That the cross is ahead of him. He's also outlined and said to Peter, You're going to deny me three times, bro. 
And then he follows it up with, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. It has been the entire time I was a youth pastor. There was one point always on my heart that I wanted to communicate as often and as clearly as I could to students and trying to get them from a position of knowing the point to, to actually believing and living out this point as a Christian. And that's the best part about heaven is that we will be with God. That our faith will become sight. That this is in fact the best part about how I will be with my creator. I will be with the one who loves me and made a way for me. And I will see him face to face for the rest of eternity. That's the best part about heaven. For way too many Christians, the best part about heaven is that it's not hell. And we haven't even experienced it yet, but we've decided that's the best it has to offer. Maybe we wouldn't say that, but we gosh darn are living that way too much of the time. And if, and if the truth is that the best part about heaven, Jesus says, I'm going to go make heaven ready for you and I'm going to come back so that you can come be with me there. So this relationship that he comes to earth to provide can be lived out in perfection for eternity with God in heaven forever. And if that is true, then the worst part about hell is that we will not, or we will we won't have the opportunity to be in relationship with God. We'll know that he exists because we are told in the scripture that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But if we can't get there. And there are so many other things that are terrible about hell, but the worst thing is that we will know God exists, that he loved us, that he made a way for us, he wanted to be in relationship with us, and now we can't. And the best part about heaven is that we will be in relationship with God if we are saved, if Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior. Who he says to his disciples, and he says to us today in John 14, I, I'm, I gotta go, but I'm gonna go get heaven ready for you, and then I'm coming back. And this is the imminent that we're talking about. That very, very soon, Jesus is coming back. So we need to know him now. Why do we put this off? Thomas responds to Jesus, doubting Thomas, not yet doubting Thomas because Jesus had died on the cross and there aren't the scars in his hands and feet inside for Thomas to check. But we know him to be doubting Thomas soon. Said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's an interesting question that Thomas poses that, hey, God, um, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, and if we don't know where you're going, how can we know how to get there? And I would even add, why do we need to know if you're saying you're coming back anyways? 
And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Singular. So often the world looking at the church or looking at Christianity says, hey, actually, if your God is so loving, why only way? Or a lot of the world is happy to be fine with us believing in God. It's when we put the priority importance on Jesus that they get offended, that it's the singular one way. Even Christians struggle with often the singular one way. That we hope that the loved one that we have, maybe that they're not believing in Jesus, but they believe in God, and so we hope that that just is good enough. And that's what makes us feel better, or that's what we would decide is actually like more loving. If our God is so loving, why just one way? Why not just let everyone? Seems more loving. Jesus says, Know me, know the way. Know me, know the truth. Know me, know life. Done. Game over. Love. Right there in this perfect package form. Jesus. Goes on to say in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Okay, ready? Verse 9, Jesus said to him, How long, or have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father in me, that the words I speak to you I did not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is what hits me and my life, and my walk as a Christian. And, and the punch that I did not want to pull in speaking to our students. Jesus says, Philip, we've been hanging out for a really long time. You've been around me for a while. If we want to really look at it historically, like intimately hanging out together for three years, these guys have been at this point. Jesus about to go to the cross, sleeping in the same house, walking to the same towns, eating at the same table every day, all the time for three years. Philip has been very close to Jesus. And Jesus' response to him is, we've been close and still you don't know me. My I got saved sophomore year of high school. It was a Monday. My dad amazingly can yesterday tell you month, day, and year that he was saved. 
Here's what I know. Sophomore year of high school, Torrey Pines, first day of second quarter, it was a Monday, sixth period, I was in Spanish one as a sophomore. That's where I got saved. It wasn't in church. It wasn't with my parents. It wasn't at camp. It was Spanish class. And, and the long and the short of it is I opened up my notebook and I listed out four lives that I think I could have. I, for the first time that Monday morning, because I had switched schools, I, for the first time in my life that I can remember, was not expected to be a Christian. And it rocked my world. My bubble before that was like here, Santa Fe Christian, and my parents' house, and my extended family's house. That At that point in my life, everyone was a Christian. I was a little Christian bubble boy. <laughs> and everyone I knew expected me to be a Christian. And that makes faking it really easy. And that makes being around God and thinking that my relationship with Him is good because I'm near God or at church or at private Christian school, that makes it really easy for me in my own head and heart to be like, well, I'm good with God because I'm close. I do all this stuff. Or that I wasn't doing a bunch of really bad things that I decided were bad. And in Spanish class, I list out these four things. Like, what if I'm... What if I continue to pursue art, which was like my life in high school? What if I continue to pursue art? What does that mean? What does that look like in my life? Where would I live? What kind of job would I have? What kind of car would I drive? How many kids would I be able to afford and like raise? Okay, and I listed these out, four different things. And then all the possible problems that I might get into in these areas of life. I wish I hadn't done this, but I thought it was like the right thing and the cool thing to do as this 10th grade kid. I, I crumpled up this piece of paper and I threw it in the trash. I wish I still had it. But I crumpled it up, I threw it in the trash, and I said, I, don't, I really don't care. And it was in that moment that I decided, I just want to be whoever God wants me to be. I want to be his. Done. That's when I got saved. That's when actually I went from this kid who knew a lot about God at least as a sophomore in high school, I knew a lot more about God than most kids in that Spanish class. And it actually became, I want to know God, me and him. How does that happen? Only through Jesus. Only through Jesus who, who made the only way to God. And I can pinpoint it, I can look back and say, sixth period Spanish class, Monday, quarter two, Tory Pines, senior Viegas' class. That's when I got saved. That's when my faith actually became mine. Because up until this point, I think the question to Philip was the same question God was asking me. Jesus was asking me, Mitch, how long are we just going to be near each other and not have a relationship? Because I could justify so well in my head, I was good. Me and Jesus were good. 
because I went to church or I wasn't doing drugs or drinking or having sex or whatever I decided was bad. I was like, look, God, yay. We're good. No. The only thing that makes my standing with God good is Jesus. Period. Game over. End of story. That's it. He goes on to explain verse 19. Actually, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Romans 5.8 tells us that um, God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still wanting nothing to do with God, he would send his son Jesus to die on the cross. Put it this way. God is so concerned with our ability or our opportunity to have relationship with him that he was willing to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to his creation. And not just so that 33 years later he could die on a cross. But to stress to you this morning that every moment of every day he had to choose us and choose not to sin. We're told that he was tempted by everything, every temptation that is common to man. That the entire time that he is here, he had to preserve himself as this perfect sacrifice to one day go die on the cross so that we might have the opportunity to know God if we choose him. And now he is saying to us this morning, Christian, be careful that we're not justifying or saying that our relationship with God is good because we're doing what he asks or waiting for what he's told us to wait for or staying away from the things that he says we should have no business doing or being as Christians. Don't, don't operate from there and be like, look, God, what I'm doing or what I'm not doing, we're good. He says, no, 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 you start from love. You start from relationship and then this. And then your life looks different. You're not a Christian because your life looks different. You're not saved because your life looks different. You couldn't do it. So it's not like, oh, now that you know Jesus, you need to do it. You need to be perfect. You can't. He already knows that, and he chose us anyways. So it's not, oh, you're different, so now you're a Christian. It's, I'm a Christian, now I'm different. God was so concerned that I might know him and have relationship with him. So concerned with that opportunity of relationship, he was willing to send his son. So my response should be, I am so concerned with this relationship he has provided me. Therefore, my life looks different. My choices and decisions have changed in that relationship, as do my earthly relationships. Now that I'm married, I make choices differently. Now that I'm a father, I make choices differently. Most of the time, to preserve the relationship. Because the relationship is so important to me. James 4.4 4 
addresses this. Because the reality is, even as Christians, true, real Christians, with a personal relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, we will still continue to mess up and sin. James says in James 4.4, he calls us, when we do that, as Christians, adulterers and adulteresses. I love the way that the message version says it, so I'll put it on the screen for you. It says, you're cheating on God. Christian, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, and you end up enemies of God and His way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that He is a fiercely jealous lover. And what He gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. He says, you're cheating on God. You, if you're Christian, you have this personal relationship with Jesus that when we are in heaven, when Jesus comes back for us, and then we're told in Scripture, is this marriage ceremony? That we, in fact, as Jesus is preparing heaven for us, are to be preparing ourselves as the church, as the bride of Christ, but we're not married yet. That happens in heaven when we're all there. Right now, we're just promised, we're engaged, we're betrothed to Him, and we cheat on Him. James says in the New King James, we commit adultery against God. And he likens and uses relationship to exemplify what happens or what it looks like when we choose to sin. So then we need to start from relationship and how we're going to go about our lives. That I will live differently because this relationship with Jesus is so important. Our God is so good and so loving that even when we do mess up, even when we do sin, even when we do cheat on Him, He takes us back over and over and over and over. This gets heavy and difficult when you nail it down to this singular form of salvation. That the requirement to get into heaven has never changed. There is not a loophole. The requirement to get into heaven is perfection. We're told in Scripture, we all fall short. Every single one of us that has ever lived, we're not perfect. So God sent His Son to be perfect on our behalf. So that when it's our time to stand before God, Jesus comes and stands in our place. Is perfect on our behalf. Allows us into the gates because He did what we couldn't. We're told that when we stand before God, we get asked a very simple question. What did you do with my son?
And if we start talking and answering and trying to justify, there's problems. Because the Bible tells us that people are going to say and respond and say, I did miracles in your name. I went to church every Sunday. My parents were, whatever it is. And if, D, if Jesus doesn't come take our place and say, I know him, I know Mitch, I know they're with me, then the response from God is, depart from me, I never knew you. Again, heavy, tough, and difficult. But my argument actually this morning is this singular way of love, his name is Jesus. This is actually the most loving thing God could have ever done. It is in fact not more loving for God to just let anyone and everyone go to heaven. Maybe it's nicer at best, but it's not love. That's the God that some people think just set the world up and let it go and has no care or desire for relationship at all and really no love. It's earthly feelings, emotion love at best. And that earthly feeling love that so many of us live in right now leads to so many divorces and parents walking out on kids and, and people committing adultery against those that they say that they love because it's just not good enough for cutting it or I don't have the butterflies anymore feeling. But the true, real, actual love is sacrifice. It is, hey, I actually love you so much that I'm putting you, the world, everyone ever, ahead of my own son. The true, real love is when Jesus is in the garden and says, and I'm paraphrasing, God, I don't feel like doing this. Is there any other way? And then the sacrifice, but not my will, but your will be done. There's the love. That this singular, it's not if your God is so loving, why doesn't he just make every way lead to him? No, no, no. It's actually our God is so loving that he made a way. He didn't have to do that. But he did it because he loves us. And it is, in fact, actually so much more loving that he would do that for people that won't even accept it. Holy cow, that's love. To put himself out there in that regard, to put his life on the line for people that will never choose to accept it, that will never ask for forgiveness, for people that will never respond to the love. Holy cow, that's a lot of love. That's an incredible example of love. And yes, it gets difficult because probably, like me, we have family members, we have loved ones that they don't have a relationship with Jesus. But guess what? Our God is so loving that you're in their life, that I'm still in their life, that we're still here. That yes, his return is really, really soon. It is imminent. 
So let's start in here in this room first. We need to know Him, God. How? Through Jesus. Now. And then every moment and opportunity that we have to love on and share the love of Christ, to live differently because that relationship is actually the most important thing in our life. Starting from that relationship and seeing all those opportunities we have with our loved ones as love being poured out from God continually. We're told that He has not sent His Son yet because of His long-suffering towards the world. That God wants everyone to come to know Him. And so the fact that we are still here now is a continuation of this incredible example of love. For those that don't know Him yet, not know of Him or believe that there is a God, but to know Him as their God, your own God, that He is yours and you are His in this loving, incredible relationship provided by His Son. That it is not enough to just be around God or around the things of God. It is not enough to just know this book well. All that matters is that we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now. I'm so excited for the Living Nativity because we share the gospel in a really cool way. And praise the Lord as a church and as a staff that the funds for that are already covered. We might not get there. That might not happen. We might be in heaven. But there are those, and hopefully on your heart, that need to know or need the push or need the question like Jesus asked Philip, how long have we been doing this? How long have we been close and still you don't know me and still we don't have a relationship? Not a God or the God, but our God, my God because of my Savior, who is now Lord of my life. Therefore, my life looks different. And as he says here in John 14, but it's not him, it's not his authority, but God's authority that dwells inside of him, same thing as a Christian, that it's not our authority that we speak from, but his authority within us, that the same power that conquered the grave to prove that this God that left heaven and was born in a manger lived this perfect life so that he could die. The death that we deserve then came walking out of the grave to prove that everything he said, everything he did, worked. That death was defeated. And that walking out of the grave is the victory lap. And he says, I'm going to get heaven ready for you. You bring as many people as you can. And I'm coming back really soon. That's the greatest love story the world has ever known. 
or unfortunately, the greatest love story that the world has yet to know. God, I love you so much. I thank you that you love us. That you love us to such an extent that you would provide for us the opportunity to know you. And sending your son to die on the cross. God, if we have accepted that in this room, God, would, would we put more priority and importance on that relationship? Would we not feel like the relationship is fine because we're, we're doing things or, or staying away from things or, or living in a certain way, but God, we would, we would be living that way because of the relationship, because of the priority and importance we put on our relationship with you that we want to protect it. Like we do our earthly relationships, God, that we want to protect the relationship that you went to such lengths to offer to us. God, that we would not as James says, want to cheat on you. But that we would live this life that you have planned for us because of our love for you and your love for us. And that we know, as so clearly said here in John 14, that you are the way, the truth, and the life that no one No one comes to the Father but through you. That when we stand before God the Father, you will come and you will take our place. Because we have invited, we have asked you to forgive us of our sins, to be our Lord and Savior, to do what we couldn't do, that you freely offer to us. God, I pray for those that are in the room this morning that have been here for so long, that have been going to church for so long, and yet they still might not know you. Would that change today, God? Would we not leave this room? God, I pray in the theater that the depression and the anxiety and the stress that so heavily weighs on our students would be cast at your feet, would be thrown onto your shoulders. God, I pray that thoughts and plans of suicide would flee. God, that they would feel your love new and fresh this morning. God, we thank you that when we mess up, that when we do cheat on you, you receive us once again with open, loving arms. God, I thank you this morning that you are jealous for us, that you chase after us, that you pursue us, God. Would we in turn pursue and love and sprint after you and your will for our life? God, would we see every moment that we have with our loved ones that don't know you as an as an outpouring of your love 
and putting us in their lives, those who know, those who have relationship, God. Would it not be a burden? Would it just simply be love? In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.